I'm so tired. How are we going to do this thing? We're doing it on Trinity. I'm just going to, dude, you're going to have to lead us through this. You're going to have to put a disclaimer in, like, we have no intention of deviating from any Orthodox creed on the Trinity. If it happens, if it's because we we're do stupid. That, that's unintentional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Double stupid. Um, yeah. Anyway, so bottom line, we've got some cool stuff. We'll get to it, is what I'm saying. So if you if you sort of threw me an email or whatever, um, very stoked. Thank you. All good. I love to do all of that stuff. So there's been nothing that I've been like, oh, no, I don't want to touch that. So we, we will look at it all. Just got to find the time. So anyways, we've committed to just kind of move on with um, with just these basic doctrinal uh, categories just to just to set up a, an, an initial playlist for anyone who's interested in uh, just getting some of the basics down. And mm-hmm. um, we've almost randomly picked um, uh, Horton's text, uh, Pilgrim Theology, which is kind of like the name, Pilgrim Sojourner. And Horton's a good dude. Let's let's be honest. We do like a bit of Horton. Yeah, we, we do, do, we do. So you know, not like we're doing his work any justice whatsoever. <laughs> so <laughs> you know, so hey, Mike, if you're listening to this, sorry, man. <laughs> yeah, hey, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, but we want to we want to kind of work through the Trinity today. We've looked at the attributes of God and the Trinity. So, um, this is obviously a big subject, and it is a large chapter in his book. Um, and so, mm. you know, it actually is quite a surprisingly detailed book for an intro, te- uh, in, uh, a detailed chapter at least for an intro text. So, I, pr- yeah. I probably actually wouldn't even recommend um, this particular chapter for someone who's starting off in theology, probably Grudem or something like that. Yeah, should just be your go-to um, because he does get. It's not a bad chapter. That's it's a great just, chapter. It's just got yeah. a lot, and there's like little caveats into like Kelvin's view on on the yeah. Great Schism and things right. like that that you don't really need on your first. It's just quite overwhelming if you're if thinking about it from that perspective. But it's a it's a good chapter for sure, like everything else in the book. Um, so what we'll do is just maybe simplify it a little bit and and just um, just work with some of the basic rudiments. Um, I think. Uh, what, do you want to kick us off? Any anything to say there in terms well, I of? Well, I, I mean, just again, just outlining the importance of it. It's not just important uh, for for doctrinal orthodoxy, but actually, I, I think that um, there there is uh, actually as one of the points he he makes as well. It's also important for Christian experience. But but I think um, you know I was very surprised. We did another excellent book on the Trinity uh, by Tim Chester. Um, I can't remember the name of the book. It's a red book. I think it's called Enjoying the Trinity. Um, but it's a very, very good chapter. It's not like it's not a detailed doctrinal thing. It's it's a it's just about the practical relevance of the doctrine of the Trinity to the okay. Christian life. But mm-hmm. and it, it wasn't rocket science at all. You know, it was beautifully written, but mm-hmm. it was f- pretty pretty standard stuff. Any anyone who's been in this territory wouldn't be surprised by anything in there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. but I was really surprised at how um, a lot of my church really struggled. It was like oh, we don't even know how to pray anymore. You know, like they, they were almost angry. Wow. At the at how like they used to think in these not nice easy categories. Right. And now the doctrine of Trinity has come along and confused them. And yep. It's like messing. Like who do we pray to? The Father, Son, and the Spirit. Right. Like don't right. know who to pray right. to. Right. Yeah. Who are we worshiping? Who do who do I have? A, you know, like it's like <laughs> it's like thinking about the the Trinity. Um. 
you know, is almost perceived as an inconvenience. Right. So that it's almost like they were actually mono, uh, at least um, kind of uh, Unitarians, <laughs> and it categorized it functionally that way, and um, or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, this is so. My church is is a has been a doctrinally orthodox church for ages. You know, mm. and so I think you know on paper. If you ask people, do you believe in the Trinity? Of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, everyone's going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, um, uh, but when you start to say, you know, sort of think through some of the implications of the Trinity for other beliefs that we have, mm-hmm. uh, have or for some of the, the practices or about things like prayer and that, um, that's, that's when it's, it, it really starts to kind of expose that actually the we we want to tick the box of doctrinal orthodoxy, but we really just want to stay there. Just stay there because I don't want you messing with my mindset. It's yeah. like a, it's an inconvenient truth, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, that's a good point. Um, and it reminds me also of uh, another kind of knee-jerk reaction to the doctrine. We know it's important, but it's so confusing and so technical. And, uh, you know, so, so it very quickly gets labeled with the mystery tag. That's just mm-hmm. a mystery. You know, yes, we believe mm-hmm. it. And what often happens, well, two things happen, I think. Firstly, people say heretical things about the yes. Trinity in yeah. the name of mystery, you know. Uh, yeah. You know, like they'll talk about God being uh, one in the same way that he is three, you know. And um, he is both one and three in the same way, in the same relationship. And, and you know, just straight up yeah. contradictions. And they'll, they'll talk yeah. about... God is one and God is three. God is three. And then you'll ask him, what do you mean by that? Well, we just mean it's both, <laughs> you know, and like both concerning his essence and, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so just, just all sorts of things start coming out that, but it's just mysterious. So we don't know. Um, you just got to accept it. And then I think a lot of people struggle with the Trinity as a result of that because they're like, I'm not going to believe a contradiction. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. No. Uh, that's, that's like intellectual suicide. And, you know, no one's asking you to do that. There is mystery, but uh, as Aussie Sproul always used to say, there's... Um, you know, there's a difference between paradox and contradiction. There's a yeah. there's a kind of supra rational yeah. element, but that doesn't mean that there's a contradiction. It just means we, it's a seeming, mm. you know, contradiction at best. Um, but but in fact, we're we're not we're never making contradictory statements. So there there is a that's an important idea that one has to keep in mind when looking at the doctrine. Don't put the mystery tag on too soon. And the other thing is that the mystery tag, you know. It's almost like if, if you just hang on a little bit with that mystery tag, you do have to put it somewhere. You, there, it, there does come a point where you have to go, okay, well, that's just something we're never going to figure out or that's something that's mysterious. But it does it is so much more profound and awesome to know exactly where the, myst- the mystery starts. And then what always surprises me is how much is actually not even intended to be mysterious uh, that you had just kind of shrugged into that mystery pile. And in fact, there's this whole like segment of theology that actually is revealed in the bible quite clearly uh not not even that mysterious well you know relatively speaking and um and you know you're totally supposed to know this stuff you know Mm. so it actually does affect yeah you know practically it affects things it affects other points of doctrine it affects christology you know um which is uh what we'll get to eventually but but yeah so you know we got to look at it is what i'm saying and um and the, the people might be surprised um, hopefully not inconvenienced, but yeah. well, good. I mean, good. You need to be stressed. If it, again, it's it's that whole concept, like the the standard 
the standard kind of Muslim argument against Christianity is you're, you're, it's just too it's too confusing to understand. It's not helpful. Like we have right. such a beautiful, clear, simple way of understanding about God. He's one, pure and simple. But the problem is that actually it's not it's not a good thing if you your conception of God is so easy. It's really simple to get your head around. Actually, whenever you think name. of God, it should be mind blowing, right? You know? And that right. should be obvious from not only from things like um, the Trinity, but you know, just think of the eternity of God. You know, mm. like you know, get your head around that—that that God has always existed. And so, yeah. there shouldn't be an avenue uh, or an aspect of God's being that we think about and think, Do you know, what this is. This is not stretching me at all. I find yeah. this totally simple. <laughs> right, exactly. And, uh, you know, it does actually remind me, like, you've got, you know, and I realize this isn't, might be getting off from the basics, but um, just, you know, if anyone does want to look at this, I mean, you've got, you know, if, if it should be resonant with created reality as well. You know, there should be something about the Trinity that is both profound, mysterious, totally mind-boggling, and yet very resonant. Um, and I think one of the things uh, I'm not a massive fan, as people know, of the um, uh, John Frame's perspectival deal. But I think uh, there are two elements that I, I felt really he's onto something. You know, where if you limit the the universe of discourse, so to speak, um, you know, in in uh, in philosophy, I think I think he's really you know he 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 has found a good way to categorize everything via this uh, tri-perspectival deal. And that's important because it's to do with, you know, how we know truth. And so there's a resonance with something. There's a threeness about things that's not random. It's just, it's a, it must be that way. Same thing with uh, Van Til's, you know, beginning with the triune God. And a lot of that comes through in what he says in apologetics and just substantiating just everything, you know, um, from that starting point. And I feel like that comes through. Um, uh, and then what I was going to say as well with Frames uh, thing is that he doesn't he's like loath to go there, but when he does, I think it makes a lot of sense the the Trinity uh, and its reflections in in the in the threeness of things um, and his uh, tri perspectivalism. So so there's that to look at for that point. But I think just to not get ahead of ourselves and just um, to kind of work through the stuff that typically we would work through. I mean, if you're asking someone, if someone comes to you on the street, hmm. maybe not on the street, but just having coffee. Week uh, Christianity number one. So, what is the Trinity? How do we know this is biblical? Someone told me it wasn't biblical. What do you tell them? Hmm. So the I'm um, okay. There's so two two questions there. What is the Trinity, and is it biblical? Uh, to do that, I mean, short of going through all the proof texts. Okay. So now, but I think it's kind of helpful to work through what you would do, even if we don't go through all the the, the proof texts. Like, what what's the process there? Okay. Well, I guess I guess my my um, my first port of call when trying to persuade someone or or, or demonstrate just in the clearest way possible that mm. it has to the doctrine of the Trinity has to be true. Yeah. Is just to start with your creator creature distinction. Okay. So then you've got you've got you know the creator and then you've got everything else, and then say, well, where do you put the sun? Where do you put the spirit? Mm-hmm. And and I think that you know again for any for even the most the newest Christian the weakest Christian there is a, a, a at least a reluctance to place the spirit and the sun anywhere outside of the Creator. Uh, right, because you've got just, you've got texts that just talk about the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit mm-hmm. is God. You know, so it's just you've got you got all those things are true, and yet they're not the same person. 
Um, yeah. You know, so you've got to do something with those that biblical data. Yeah, exactly. And everything, all of the the complex language of the doctrinal trinity is just trying to uh, of the doctrine of the trinity is just trying to create the kind of boundaries for the field mm. of play. Right. You know. So, like, you know, if you stay within these boundaries, you're safe. If you go outside of these boundaries, you're unsafe. So right. all of the kind of complex language of eternal processions and eternally yeah. begotten, all that kind of stuff is just really saying, look, the Bible says there's one God. The Bible says the Father is God. The Bible says the Son is God. The Bible says the Spirit is God. The Bible says uh, that they are distinct from each other. Yeah. One hand. Boom. There you go. So, there we go. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, and... Going back to our doctrine of simplicity, I think we did talk about that already, which that philosophical arc, I'm almost positive I mentioned something about that at that point. This would be a total train smash if I haven't. But basically, um, <laughs> there was the thing where you've got the godness of God going above the created order to, to, to follow on what you were saying there. And um, the bottom line is, you know, you've, you only have one God. And he is above mm -hmm. the, the ark, you know, uh, the 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 arch or the ark, however you want to pronounce it. In that sense, um, he is the one who is uncreated. And you know, if you put time in that above the ark, if you take the create, then you've made time God. That's just how it works. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're putting three above the ark, <laughs> and yet there's only one. And so, you can mm -hmm. only have one because there can only be one God. There's only one above the ark. That's the rule. And so, you're kind of playing with that dynamic uh, when you're looking at these things. And, uh, you know, these are established principles that you have to work with um, already. So you've got the straight up biblical um, uh, sort of text to deal with, the, the concepts there, uh, exactly what you just mentioned on those five points. And then you've got the, the philosophical quandary that you've got to, you know, move, move around with, giving rise to all of the, um, the technical language. Um, but, you know, saying it like that, you realize, okay, well, it almost reminds me a little bit of, you know, the, I don't want to. I don't want any way sort of to speak uh, simplistically of the Trinity or make it seem like it's it's uh, more simple than it is, or try and lessen the gravity involved in the subject or the reverence and all we should have in approaching um, the study of God. But I think to help for people who are freaked out by the subject, it reminds me a little bit. And this is an analogy; it probably does fall flat. So just everyone relax, breathe chill um when you say one plus one water ice steam. <laughs> oh, no, no. when you say <laughs> one plus one I'm, shell, see i'm not even gonna say i'm not even gonna say one plus one plus one equals three i'm gonna say one plus one equals two so now you know it's an analogy right okay right, yeah, right. Okay, yeah. one plus one i'm not even talking about the trinity <laughs> i'm just talking about math now one plus it, one I, I got it. one plus yeah. one equals two okay mm -hmm. can you prove that do you think you can uh, prove that? Yes, I think How? so. I got one book. Yep. Plus another book. Right. Okay. Now, now got two books. you got two books when you put them together. You see them there. I can see two books. I think the theory is sound, right? And so, yeah, so. you know, that's math. It's in, the, it's in the, you know, that's what it is. There is more one can say about Pythagorean theory, you know, and how that develops, you know, and, and you can you can add to one plus one, you know, you can get equations involving, you know, a certain more developed ideas that surround the same principle. But it's and, and that's true, but it's never going to change that fundamental fact that one plus one equals two, you know. Now again, I'm not in, in any way saying the Trinity equals two or anything. I'm saying that in terms of the concept, 
you know, at the basic level, you've got the Bible saying something about God. And yes, it's true that they've had to work it out on extremely detailed philosophical levels that, you know, you might you might be involved with at some day, at some point that you might have to look at. But probably not everyone has to look at, you know, Pythagorean theory. And they, they can still affirm, even without knowing Pythagorean theory, that this one plus one equals two. You know, there's a basic sort of sense in which math is math, and then you can develop on that. So same sort of thing, I think, with the Trinity. You know, uh, as long as you're not saying something wrong mm. at the baseline, which we could do. I mean, like, you know, to use that analogy in a bad way, I could just say God is three. There we go, you know. Um, yeah. You know, but, but as long as we're not doing that... And we're just going, okay, here's the biblical data. He's one in this way. He's three in this way. I don't understand exactly how it works. You're basically onto the subject and you deepen it out from that point. But it's, it's not like, it's not like you've, you can't ever access it, you know, in that sense. I don't know if that makes sense. Or is that me just No, it does. It does make sense. Absolutely. Yeah, right, no, cool. I, think, I think that's right. You've got, you've got your baseline. You've got your baseline things. And the baseline things are like there's one God that is the essential, you know, if you're chatting to your, to your Jewish buddy or your muslim buddy or or whatever and they're concerned about you worshiping multiple gods you don't you worship one god that's the, the fundamental doctrine of the christian faith there is right. there is one god yeah um but you are also recognizing that that one god has been revealed as or describes the father as being god describes the son as being god describes the spirit as being god and so you know there is a paradox mm-hmm. um and you know it, that many perceive as a contradiction, but we'll, we'll, I mean, we'll talk about it. But that it's it's not a contradiction um, if you if you make a distinction between essence and and persons. Yeah. But the final thing that that is really important, and people often use this as an objection to the to the Trinity as well, um, is they'll say, "Oh, but how come you see the Son talking to the Father?" And so surely that. You know, that means that Jesus can't be God if he's talking to God. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, no, that's that's exactly the doctrine of the Trinity because the mm-hmm. Father is distinct from the Son. Mm-hmm. The Son is distinct from the Spirit. And so there's there's unity of essence, but there's yeah. distinction in the persons. And yeah. that language took a long while to develop. But the mm. whole point of that language, like you say, is to get that basic baseline truth right about yeah. one God three persons yeah yeah good and actually that's a good uh, point to to bring in the the economic trinity the um you know the imminent trinity or how people divided in different ways the transcendent imminent whatever um but you know you have basically this idea well actually even before that you know with the idea of you mentioned islam before but um you know if you don't have the trinity with three persons um, who have a, a relationship with one another? You really have no foundation for love and those basic realities that mm. that that um, you know can't be accounted for until creation begins. You know, at some level, you, that makes God dependent on rela- on creation to to have this experience of love, and um, and so the Trinity is really important for for things like that, even prior to to creation. Uh, but then creation does happen. And uh, we go from thinking about God, uh, you know, beyond creation to an economic presentation of the Trinity in time, so to speak. And this is where a lot of the debates happen, because Mm -hmm. a lot of the idea that often comes out of this is, well, is God the way he is outside of time, outside of creation, 
in the same way that he is as he is revealed in creation. And a lot of this has to do with subordination. You know, Jesus mm. uh, is subordinate to the Father, happily says that. Um, you know, the, the Spirit, um, you know, is sent from Jesus. And, you know, there's there's all these kinds of things. So is that how it is all the time? Is that how it's always been? Is this part of uh, the ontological trinity? Um, and so, yeah, what are your thoughts on that one? And if he... If, if well, I think that basically again, it's help. It's a helpful illustration of how we're just trying to defend those baseline truths. So, mm. if you say that God is is there is a an ontological subordination, you know, within the very kind of being of God, there is a distinction of authority or mm-hmm. an inequality of authority or something like that. Mm-hmm. And are you not implying that Jesus and the Spirit, the Son and the Spirit, are lesser? gods or, right. or lesser than the father right and that's a big problem because you're, you're you're again you're transgressing one of the baselines yeah um but also from the point of view of those who would argue um you know you could say well if there is a change if god represents himself differently in the economic trinity the way mm-hmm. that the trinity is revealed in time and space then does that mean that god is changed in his nature somehow and so right. again that's that's another essential kind of doctrine of God that that you don't want to you don't want to cross that line. And so, yeah. somewhere between those two boundaries, yeah. you don't want to distort, you know, the 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 being of God as in you know Father, Son, Spirit equally God. You don't mm. want to cross that that boundary. No. But you also don't want to say God is changing somehow. Right. Um, and. I think uh, one of the helpful things, I mean, someone has, uh, you know, again, I realize it's hard to even touch the subject lately without diving into a lot of controversy that has arisen. Um, And, um, you know, it does, it is worth looking into, and I don't want to oversimplify anything now or, um, you know, dismiss it uh, at this point. But but I think one of the things that's been helpful to me is just thinking about, you do get subordinationism, which is, as you say, you know, you're sort of implying some sort of subordination within um, the, um, you know, the essence rather than the persons. Um, and, and even ontologically rather than um, economically. Um, but then you get, then you get, um, you know, subordination, which is, uh, you know, at least what we, we were happy to say within the economic trinity, there was obviously um, some necessary level of subordination. So subordinationism and subordination need to be kept just you know, yeah. make sure that we're keeping that apart without solving the problem now. Just to just to have those categories uh, for people to work with, um, and then the other thing is um, uh, to make sure that if we're you know, as you said, like if if they're all, if there is no subordination between the father and the son in any single way, if there's no fatherness about the father or processionality about the son or begottenness of the son, sorry, not processionality of the spirit, um, then. What makes the father the father? What makes the son? Does the father need to be the father as he is the father in the economic trinity? Does the son, is it the son that needed to be incarnate or could the father have been incarnate without any difference really? Because there is no difference. You don't want to go there. You know, there is a necessary distinction between the persons, even in the ontological um, uh, trinity. So, you know, as you say, you've got to keep these things just almost like keep the majors where they're supposed to be and then work out the details from that point. But um, be careful of crossing those lines. But also um, like be careful of, of accusing someone of heresy, Yeah, you know, <clears throat> because, because it, a heresy is when someone is clearly 
transgressing one of those baseline yeah. foundational um, areas, you know, pillars of, of yeah, areas. So yeah. it might. I mean, would this be a helpful point to to talk about some of the classic mistakes? Yeah, that let's people do make? Um, I was just one more thing before we do that, maybe. Yeah. Because it kind of the, the other stuff gets us straight into the east-west debate and all that, but um, let's you know perichoresis is an important concept just based on the counterpoint there of what I was saying earlier. Uh, what is perichoresis? You want to have a go? quick no, and dirty nasty? No. All right, great. Uh, let me read it. This. All right. Over to you, Mike. This interrelationship between persons is further underscored by the term perichoresis, this is straight out of Horton, which refers to the mutual indwelling of the persons in each other i find this to be particularly mind-burning and it's Kleinian to the core because uh, you've got a lot of like this christ who is the spirit you know all of that stuff um yeah. this relationship yeah. is underscored in john uh underscored where oh my goodness it just went my iPad just broke page on me. Uh, uh, no, okay, page ninety-seven. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. Page ninety-seven yeah, uh, in John one eighteen. Is that it? The relationship yeah. is underscored yeah, that's in John's it, that's gospel, it, that's where it. Jesus speaks of himself as being in the bosom or at the side of his Father from all eternity, and engaging with the Father and the Spirit in a mutual exchange of gifts and activities. Hmm. A little um, bit further there as well. Uh, no one comes to the Father except through the Son. In fact, to know the Son is to know the Father also. This notion of perichoresis, a unity of will and action, is not an alternative to a unity of essence, as is taught by Latter-day Saints or Mormonism, as well as social Trinitarianism. Uh, rather, the essential unity of the persons is the presupposition for their shared life. There is therefore an intimate unity of these three persons that cannot be duplicated in any creaturely community. So I think that's just important to say because it's not quite as simple as saying, you know, the 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 persons are, uh, you know, three persons, one essence. And it's almost like you get a, a weird view. It's almost like a false diagram. You know, it hasn't got the overlapping bits. And, and this is really where all diagrams would fail. You know, it's almost like you actually just need three circles on top of each other, which doesn't make a great <laughs> diagram. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, you've got you've got that kind right, of thing kids, going on. If you look to, you know, figure two in your textbooks. <laughs> it looks like no. a circle. But actually, <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. they're, so they're fully well, overlapping, but they're three um, of them. I did want to see a, a, a version of that, which is basically one object, um, which was a 3D object, but viewed from a 2D perspective. So it was kind of that oh, cool. that sort of thing. And then mm. the object would move. So you would you would what looked like three lumps in from a 2D perspective was actually mm -hmm. one one thing. So okay. I've never seen it represented that way before. Right, but, right, right. Um, well, you yeah, see the classic. Like, you know, um, diagram that you know that one, it's got the three points that the kind shield. of move out of the circle oh yeah, yeah yeah yeah. they yeah. overlap like an infinity sign or whatever but uh they just kind of move and so the diagram fails there because you got little parts that aren't perichoreist you know um yeah. and and then again like the, the circle bit fails because you don't get the distinction so it's it's just kind of you and this is one of the rules and everyone should know that up front there is no diagram so don't yeah. even try and uh, find that perfect <laughs> illustration. diagram illustration or, or illustration. illustration. That's true. Like, yeah. The water you will always end up a heretic if you stick to your guns. Yeah. <laughs> stick to your guns on whatever illustration you think you got. You're going down, my friend. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hold and it lightly. This is, I think, part of the problem. This is why you end up with Christians who are just like, um, like, what do I do with this? You know, because right. there isn't, you know, uh, people like the simplicity of saying, you know, of, you know, light gives heat. That, you know, that, that kind of mm-hmm. pick something mm-hmm. from creation. But when you've got something about God's nature that is just um, incomparable, you know, there's mm. just nothing nothing like it in all of creation it is one of the the things that make god makes god unique from anything in creation um and it is just you you have to embrace uh I, you know used responsibly you have to embrace the mystery you know the, mm. uh, of the trinity the mind-blowing mystery of it yeah. but also just like you say not get into contradictions but the point mm. you were making um earlier I mean, it comes down to that classic principle in theology, doesn't it? Where you have to, you have to be careful to make a distinction without separation. Yeah, and that's where many of those diagrams, you know, you have to keep a distinction between Father, Son, and Spirit, but you can't separate Father, Son, and Spirit. Not even, not even the persons. So not yeah. just in the essence, but not even the persons can be separated, right? Um, because yeah. they're connected by that word, perichoresis. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Um, and on on that point, obviously, you you do sort of flow into both the history uh, of Trinitarianism, the East West tensions, and the heresies that developed and were solved through various councils. So we're all in that realm now. Um, key defenders, I think, uh, Horton has a great little section talks about Irenaeus and Tertullian, um, who sort of developed the. Um, well, especially to the, the the Western side of things that Athanasius uh, then picks up on. Uh, the Cappadocian, father, Cappadocian fathers, uh, Nick and I have just gone through some of them, um, or both mm. of them, I can't remember now. Um, but uh, the brothers, yeah, we did do both of them because I still made a quote well, about me being... Well, there were three, weren't there? There was a girl, Basil, there was a sister Gregory. and a... I think it was Basil, Gregory, and a sister. Well, I thought there were two Gregories. The brothers um, Basil and Gregory, no. Yeah, Don't Gregory know. of Nyssa and Gregory of Nazianus. Oh, that's it. Yeah, you're right. All there right. was a so sister, which, but she's not considered to be one, one of no, the No, so there were three. That's right, yeah. So which is uh, which brother would you be? That's the question out of us. Bro, I don't, yeah. I don't know, man. Which Who's brother the, do you think you are? I was Basil, definitely, without a doubt. Which, which brother is the brother with, with no prospects? Uh, that was, I don't know, was that Nyssa? I think that was maybe I'll be yeah. that brother, <laughs> but he was also the sharp guy, I think. I'm not sure, oh, totally, okay. totally rusty. anyway. So, um, all I know is that <laughs> the bigger brother was the bully to the younger brother, and I was like, Oh, yeah, oh, that's perfect, sounds familiar, yeah, sounds familiar. Um, and anyway, so we got those guys, and they developed the um, the eastern side of things, if I'm not mistaken, and mm-hmm. um. Then Augustine comes along and develops the Western side of things. They end up with something. They, they obviously, uh, today with the Reformers, they, they came along and really grabbed hold of a lot of what the Cappadocian Fathers were saying and the Eastern side of it and uh, rectified some of the overly Western elements. Uh, and yet sort of Kelvin was a great example of bringing the two together and coming up with a really robust and best of both traditions. 
Um, so that's how that basically works. Um, but that gets us into some of the problems that were um, uh, developed on, along the way. And this is just worth talking about because often we'll use terms like this. Often some other doctrine completely unrelated to the Trinity will be likened to one of these heresies. Uh, it's just the way this goes. So modalism and subordinationism, what was that all about? Well, so modalism is when you do the T.D. Jakes thing and you uh, you say <clears throat> that there's one god who manifests mm. in 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 three persons so it's the same god who sometimes appears as the father sometimes appears as the son sometimes appears in, as the spirit and uh, the problem with that is that it fails to recognize the individual persons the distinction mm -hmm. of the person so it's kind of like the son doesn't really exist until God manifests manifests as the Son. There aren't mm. really any personalities. Yeah, uh, um, there aren't any persons. God. Not there any persons within yeah, God. Yeah, so God wears masks. Is is the the best way I've yeah. heard? You know, yeah. and uh, he he has various modes. Subordinationism is, of course, the the uh, the heresy uh, of uh, Arius and and uh, the opposing view there, where basically, or the other extreme, where. Um, you know, uh, the way to solve it is there is one God, but Jesus is not, you know, he's not true God or he's a lesser God or something like that. Mm. Um, and then yep. you get tritheism as well, um, mm. where you just say oh, yeah. all of them are God. There are three gods, you know, and yep. uh, all of these have taken various forms over the years, but those are the basic end of it. And then you, you know, you get to um, a lot of it, I think, does overlap. We'll talk about it when we get to Christology, but Eutychianism and... Um, and uh, all of that stuff as well, but that's more related mm. to to Christ. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Sibelius was the other way. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Good. Um, um, all right. So, where are we now? What are we talking about? Well, uh, I think it'd be good to talk about just practical stuff. So, you know, mm -hmm. if, if guys have got the baseline down, you know, one God, three persons, uh, same in the essence, distinct in the persons. Um, and revealed in these kind of familial terms to us, then that is uh, everything else. Everything else is just trying to cross those lines. Those are mm. the boundaries of safe play when thinking about God. So I think that's good. Mm -hmm. And some of the classic mistakes of you either go three gods or you go, uh, you know, one God without distinction of the persons. Don't mm -hmm. you want to go any, anywhere near any of those things. But I think all of this has been in the realm of trying to get right thinking going but let's just mm -hmm. say we do let's just say we have right thinking where we're not falling into the trap of contradiction there's an appropriate amount of paradox and mystery and we're mind blown but you know kind of so what you know how does this benefit us as as christians or well, is we it have just been... inconvenient yeah uh, okay i was just right we have have we talked about essence or persons because i think we kind of presume everyone gets that right one essence three persons just in case you didn't get that because <laughs> that would be like the super the thing i think we did mention uh, i hope we've mentioned one i think we went straight on to economic imminent but anyway um okay. so and that was uh largely i think um you know again the cappadocian fathers that helped with that just to come up with a, there was a whole big squabble. I'm kind of just uh, bypassing all the squabble along the way because I think that's where it gets overwhelming. Um, mm -hmm. You know, as you as you read into the history, very fascinating, very awesome to look at, but just kind of not not entirely helpful all the time when you're just trying to get your head around it. Um, yeah. And um, you know, the, the tensions, of course, between the east and the west are some 
it's a big deal. And uh, that a whole lot of uh, stuff came from that, but we're just jumping over all of that. All right. So in terms of um, practical benefits or just whatever, I think I think basically one of the things that um, you have to – one of the major things for me is just that, you know, what is that? I wish I could find it now. But um, that thing that I think it was one of the Cappadocian fathers said, I'm no sooner drawn to the one than I'm drawn to the three – and I'm no, no sooner back to the three that I'm kind of drawn back to the one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know what I'm talking about, that that yeah. that famous uh, yeah. quote. Um, and I think that for me helps a lot because that's kind of what we're looking at when we're talking about the devotional reality. Mm-hmm. It folds into what we were saying earlier. You know, there, there, there shouldn't, it shouldn't be possible for you as a Christian to really sit down and think about any of the attributes of God, really. But this reality of his person um, with without being completely just caught up in some sort of rapture um, mm. you know I don't, I don't want to I don't want to make it sound like you know, there's something wrong with you if, you if you're not going there all the time but every now and again you know this this sustained contemplation sustained meditation of the Trinity will lead mm. to worship because you're dealing with God, you know that's that's the whole thing. There is no creaturely communication of this. Um, yeah. There is only glimmers that this is the God who made it all. Um, and so I think I think this is something very very important to include in our, um, our our regular meditation of God to make sure that we're not bringing God down to creaturely mm. level, so to speak. To make sure that when we're thinking about God, we are thinking about the the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, what we were baptized into, what orthodoxy is, the God we actually worship that's different from every other conception of God in the world. Trinitarianism is 100% unique Christianity. There is nothing like it. It's like that grace piece, you know, or, um, mm. or, or something of that nature, you know, the incarnation, Christ. Yeah. You are dealing with a distinctive Christian thing here. Another thing I think that it can be helpful, uh, just flowing on from that point, is that it helps for Christian unity. For me, it does anyway. In that you, you know, because it's such yeah. a big doctrine, you are able to really, you know, if someone's affirming the Trinity, that's a big deal. You know, you can't quickly brush that that person off. So Roman Catholicism and Protestantism would be the the thing here. You know, you are. Um, you know, if you're just if you're just brushing off someone who has believed in the same historic creeds that you have, you know, it's it's yeah, there's some it's a difficulty there. And I'm not saying you should solve all the tensions or, but I'm saying there's got to be yeah. some sort of hesitance because we're talking about something Christian at the baseline here, um, and that factors into unity, yeah. yeah. And that. Yeah, there should be an eagerness to recognize that no one can say Jesus is Lord without the Spirit. You know, there's a... Wow, there we go. There's a... When people are acknowledging the divinity of Christ, that he is part of the Godhead, yeah. um, then, then, you know, you have to to acknowledge that. You have to recognize that for what it is. People can't Mm. do that. Mm. Uh, without the spirit you know you cannot say jesus is lord now there's more to that proclamation of jesus as lord obviously mm. it's it's also about the life you know in submission to christ as lord but and about lord meaning the kind of lord he is the messiah the savior mm. so it's about trusting him for salvation there's more to that but there's you know you you have to acknowledge that that acknowledgement of jesus divinity is a spirit wrought thing um, it's just pretty awesome the way 
you know, even by the Spirit who is God. You know, there's just a tri triune thing even in that <laughs> so uh, cool. explanation of what's going on. Yeah. Well, I like that uh, uh, Horton makes the point all the way through. Actually, the gospel helps us to understand the the, the Trinity. You know, it is, mm. and the Trinity helps us to understand the gospel. So, yeah. you know, you see Father, Son, and Spirit at work in the same work of salvation, but in distinct ways within that work of salvation. Yeah, and um, yeah. and and you you appreciate how. Uh, it's that that kind of connection of, of the three in one at work for us to achieve this thing and it's so beautiful and harmonic and you know it's just it's it's just so cool to watch when you see the trinity's mission of uh, of salvation you know outplayed in this kind of trinitarian way as well so th mm. there's i i think it really can help to to deepen our appreciation for how god is saving us through the gospel which is yeah. which is very very cool but you um, touched on earlier uh, another point about how the Trinity makes sense of life mm -hmm. because, um, you know, little things like, well, if we're made in God's image, why is it that we're not okay on our own? You know, why is it that we need community and need social things? Why is it that we pursue marriage? Why is it, you know, that we want intimacy of relationships and that kind of thing? Why are we not mm. just wandering around by ourselves? Mm. You know, and that kind of need for community is part of our being made in the image of God. It's part of our, it's part right. of our representation of God in this world. And so, mm. um, you know, that, and God cannot, that cannot be part of his image unless there is some kind of, community within the godhead you know mm. it, like you said it helps us to understand why love is so important and how, mm. how actually you, if you get back to a a um an islamic conception of of god uh, of purely pure sort of oneness monism or, or whatever mm. you call it the the um you know, you have a problem because there's no to love requires someone to be loved, and you just mm. don't have that within that conception of God, which means that God couldn't be loving unless mm. He created people to love. Whereas mm. in a Trinitarian idea or conception of God, um, God is loving infinitely on His own. He doesn't need anybody else to be loving. Loving comes from Him. Lovingness mm. comes from Him. He is infinitely mm. loving. And little things like that, the need for community, the kind of unity and diversity in the world, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and all mm. sorts of things like that just flow very naturally from a triune God. Height, breadth, depth. <laughs> Water, steam. No, no, sorry. I nearly went there. John, John Frame. Try perspectivalism. There you go. I see, it all comes I see from triangles me. everywhere. <laughs> everywhere. everywhere. Um, but, you know, okay, let's answer the big one. Who do I pray to? And is it okay if I pray only to the Spirit? Through through Jesus to the Father? I, I don't know if we're going <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if we if if we can say exactly the same thing here, but uh, so I, I'd say this that that um, no prayer ever gets lost in the mail, okay? Mm -hmm. So don't freak out about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, but there is a normal pattern of prayer in, in the in the New Testament laid out mm -hmm. for us, which we should follow, which is pray to the Father mm -hmm. in the name of the Spirit, in the name of the Son. <laughs> according to the guidance of the spirit, according to yeah. the help of the spirit. So, yeah. I, I mean, that's the clear pattern laid out for us. I think we should follow it. Yeah. However, because, you know, I, it's not, I don't, 
it's certainly not irreverent in my view or um or wrong morally wrong to pray to the spirit or to the sun because you're acknowledging their deity you know yeah. like that's 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 right but yeah. it's not the normal pattern mm. so just be careful with it don't talk yeah talk one of the jesus the father <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, certainly. So you and sometimes you hear that, right? In some charismatic yeah. things, time, it just yeah. goes crazy. Um, oh man, that's a story on its own. But um, yeah. so uh, one of the ways I think exactly what you were saying there. One of the ways just to kind of maybe quantify. It, well, for me, the way I've done it anyway, which I I think is kind of helpful. Uh, certainly, you have that pattern, as you mentioned. That's that's where it is. That's the norm. But then you kind of get onto the okay. So how many times am I allowed to pray to the Father? Like once. And then I'm done. Then I go back to the norm. And I think I think you've got to just um, um, you've got to make sure that yeah. You know, I, I think you need to make the other point. Just sorry before I come back here. What you were saying earlier again, like you must be able to say yes. I can pray straight to the Father, and the Son is the media. Yes, I can pray to the Son. Yes, I can pray to the Spirit. They're all God, and you know they're all working my redemption now for me. Um, even they're all God. Sounds weird. You know what I mean? He is it's God. True, yeah, it is true. But you know what I'm saying. So, um, yeah. Um, but but I think one of the things is whenever. So it's not so much a, uh, you know, worry about when you've broken the amount of times you're allowed to pray in in a different way from the pattern, but more when the pattern is not distinguishable in your prayers. Um, so, and I think similar for hymnody and songs and sort of worship, you know, like, you know, if you go to a church and you're only ever singing to the spirit, you know, and there is no conception of the Trinity, you know, or even just that pattern, then, you know, that's a problem. There should be a, there should be a discernible pattern, uh, in your, in your prayers and in your singing. Uh, same thing when you go to a church and there's just never, the Trinity is not mentioned at all. You know, that, mm. that's kind of scary. And, um, you know, uh, or one way or another. So I think I think when I, when I pray, uh, I just want to make sure that that there is a discernible, uh, you know, norm, and it's not so much that I have to worry about it. But I just if I'm if there's a complete imbalance and no one would be, ever be able to, I'm thinking more like public prayer now. Obviously, no one's ever going to listen to my mm. internal prayers. But but as a pastor, if no one's ever would ever guess that I was Trinitarian, you know, or or that I was mm. uh, subscribed to that norm. I, I would say that that would be a problem, you know. Or it just be, when I say it'd be a problem, it'd be a potential, Im, you know, a problem would be a likely imbalance. And so even there, you got to just be careful, you know, what the indictment is. But anyway, so, you know, well, what we're saying is it's, you know, you can't just come along with a hard and fast this and that because that's what the doctrine of the Trinity is. We've got we've to be able to say that when God, you know, three persons and um, and yet, we have to distinguish the persons. You know, we have to say that Jesus is our mediator. We have hmm. to say that uh, the Spirit helps us to pray, and uh, we pray to the Father. One of the thoughts is kind of unrelated, but pretty awesome, is that you know we'll see Jesus in in in, in eternity. We'll see him in glory. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but like we'll see Jesus. Uh, hmm. There he is, in his uh, resurrected, glorified um, body, the firstborn of many brethren. Well, uh, if you go with Klein's conception, we'll see the indoxation of the spirit. It'll be the glory cloud. It'll be the the, the atmosphere of heaven. You know, it's the the equivalent of the the incarnation, so to speak. Um, and you you won't see the Father. <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> Unless I'm missing something there, but I think that's kind of quite profound. So it's just you've got you've got the almost like uh, the filio que filio que filio filio quie filio qui filio que filio que you know that sort of thing. The 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 sun and the spirit. Do they does this proceed from the son does yeah. it, does does um the spirit proceed from the father and the son all that sort of stuff becomes very interesting when you think about uh, the dynamic of how god relates to us and even what we'll be able to not pray only but who we'll see ultimately um mm. so yeah because yeah anyways lest i go on some heretic uh, uh, some some crazy trip <laughs> yeah. let me let me pull yeah. the plug right here <laughs> <laughs> no it's, uh, it's, it's right it's 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 mumbling it, it yeah. and yeah um, yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's, it, and it's good. It's good to allow your imagination to go there and to be sort of like, man, this is, it, it's, it, it, I think it should be the goal of every Christian to move beyond this is difficult and inconvenient to go to, this is mind blowing and awesome. Like that's, now, that's here's another, thing. here's another thought. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Just, uh, just let's just, let's go here. Let's jump in and freak people out. But at the <laughs> baptism of Jesus, classic example of the Trinity, right? Uh, yep. In action, yeah, yeah, yeah. in fact, one of the major proofs against modalism, where you've mm-hmm. got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and mm-hmm. Jesus is the Word of God, right? So ordinarily, <laughs> I would I would imagine that when when the Father says, "This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased," mm-hmm. that would be mm-hmm. the kind of thing that Jesus would do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean and it's just like yeah. okay so now you get to year the father though you know mm. and then the Mount of Transfiguration there you see the glory cloud you see the sun his transfiguration Christ the spirit very united there's some amazing sort of thing going on there um, and you hear the voice of the father but like mm. Jesus is the word though and so maybe it's the perichoresis mm. thing mm. but wow isn't that amazing I, Oh, well, and that could be quite important because, you know, by saying Jesus the word, we're not just saying an abstract concept of speech. You yeah. Know? We're actually saying, no, no, a person who enacts the voice of God, you know, like yeah. he is the he is the one in, in enacting the creative voice of the father. So like it's so maybe it's, we hear the voice of the father in heaven. Maybe we hey, I like we, that. I think I well, like that. I think that's the closest biblical picture we got. <clears throat> Crack the code. Yeah. Crack the code. Done it. Man, Done it. That's Another great two-age sojourner. You're so glad you joined the party. <laughs> I know the people were now you know why you gotta wait till the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta listen to the end to get the, the gold. <laughs> totally. <laughs> um, all right. Good. So much more we could say, but let's leave Love it there. Um because this is our intro playlist. All right. Let's play out. Mm-hmm.